Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime you don't have to hide how you feel this is steve robbins welcome to the get it done guys quick and dirty tips to work less and do more Howdy, I'm Steve Robbins, host of the Get It Done Guy podcast, and I'm here today with Michael Hyatt, who is a productivity expert extraordinaire. He is an ex-CEO. He is a speaker. I read his bio, and all I can think is, man, I wish I were this guy. Uh, he's pretty amazing, and he has a new book called Free to Focus, which is all about personal productivity and how to actually get more done by working less, which is super in line with the Get It Done Guy. So welcome, Michael. Thank you, Steber. I thought there was an affinity there too when I saw the title of your podcast. Yeah, it's like work less and do more. And I'm reading your book and I'm like, oh, we're thinking exactly the same way. <laughs> so, you know, let's just jump right in. And you have so much experience in terms of you've clearly been a tactical person because you started your career, presumably, you know, as an individual contributor. You made it all the way up to CEO, which most people don't really understand what a CEO's job is. But uh, for those of you listening who don't, a CEO's job is largely strategic. It's one where you're thinking on a long time horizon and you're not the one personally typing things into a screen or or doing emptying the trash can or whatever, except in a startup. But you're thinking really, really big picture. And if you think about how to be productive as an individual contributor versus how to be productive as a CEO, they seem like incredibly different things. You, Michael, have had the full spectrum of experiences. What is the one most important productivity principle that you think anyone can use? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, whether you're a solopreneur, an entrepreneur, running a large corporation, until you can scale yourself, you can't scale your business. And the reason for that is you've only got 168 hours a week. So you've got to figure out how do I clone myself so that I can be freed up to do the best, highest use of my own gifts and strengths and use that for leverage for the company to move it forward. Now, is this a principle that you apply in just your company, or is this something that works in your company and your home life and like non like volunteer work? Yeah, it totally applies to my home life. Like, for example, I haven't mowed my lawn for about probably 20 years. Uh, why? Because time is a zero-sum game. And if I'm mowing my lawn, which is not something I really enjoy, there's something else that I can't be doing, like playing with my grandkids or taking my wife out on a date, or playing golf, or going fishing, or any number of things. So the same thing is true there. What's the best use of me? What do I enjoy doing? What, I'm good, what am I good at doing? And how can I either eliminate, automate, or delegate everything else? So you just gave an interesting example, because 
I asked you how you apply this in your personal life. And you said, oh, I save time from mowing the lawn. But what you didn't say is you gave a whole list of other ways you could use that time. And none of those things were catching up on that marketing document I have to write or calling that client back. What's up with that? So in my book, Free to Focus, it starts with uh, the first section on uh, stop. And I think that this is something that we don't do in the kind of distraction economy where we're always on and always have to be available. Unfortunately, all the promise of technology has just created a world where we're always on. And all the brain science would suggest that we've got to have time off, time off stage, I call it in the book, so that we can rejuvenate. You know, just simple example. If we don't get adequate rest, and there's a lot of people out there that, that uh, encourage us to steal time from our sleep in order to turn that into greater productivity, but there's kind of this law of after about 55 hours at work, there's a law of diminishing returns. And so unless we get adequate sleep, we're not going to be our most focused, most productive self. I mean, simple example, um, you try to read a book late at night when you're tired, and you keep reading the same page, the same paragraph over and over because you can't focus. And it's a simple matter of sleep. Get a good night's rest. It's amazing what that will do for your productivity and your focus. So then when you're thinking about applying productivity things to your home life, it sounds like the other things that you're swapping in are these things that are, you will use the word stop. And of course, I actually, having read a bunch of the book, I know that's part of your framework, but listeners don't necessarily know that. But it sounds like, like you're substituting other rejuvenating home activities for the one that you're saving. You're not substituting other categories of things. And sleep might be one of the ones you substitute in terms of getting enough. Yeah, I actually try to get sleep every single night so that I'm as rejuvenated as possible uh, for the next day's worth of work. But I really advocate, and I talk about this in the chapter on rejuvenation, making sure that you know if you have a typical work week, that you're not working evenings, you're not working weekends. And having those hard boundaries, those constraints, actually forces you to be more productive. Now, here's how it used to work for me. So I would, I would go to the office. I'd get to the afternoon. I'd be working on a difficult project. I might be tempted to goof off. And I'd think to myself, you know, if I don't get this project done, not a big deal. I'll do it at home tonight or I'll do it this weekend. But by having the hard constraint and saying, no, I'm actually quitting at 6 p.m. And I'm not going to look at work again until tomorrow morning or I'm going into the weekend. I'm not going to work this weekend. That forces me to be productive, much like what happens to you on the Friday before you leave on a one-week vacation. You're never more productive than you are in that, that concentrated time when you've got a hard stop and a constraint. So I just try to artificially create that every day, and I've got a hard stop at 6 p.m., and that makes me more productive before that. So I want to riff off that because I do the so. I do a mix of what you just described. I will be okay. doing something in the afternoon and you know, I'll think, you know, I don't want to finish this right now. I can finish this tonight after I go to the gym. I then go to the gym and I get home and I go, wow, I really need to work on that thing. And then I don't. Instead, instead I read a book or, or hang out with someone or things like that. So I'm, I'm getting the worst of both worlds. Well, no, not the worst. I'm, so I'm getting the, let me save this until after the gym, but then I'm not actually doing it after the gym. <laughs> How can I create that? What do I do? Help. <laughs> yeah, well, I think in that situation, I think it's really helpful to identify, and I have a hack for this in the last part of the book, but I call it the daily big three. You know, here's what happens to most people. They get up in the morning, they've got a to-do list of 20 to 24 things that they got to get done for the day. 
And already before they start, they know subconsciously, if not consciously, that this is an impossible task. They set themselves up to lose. So that even if they get 10 to 12 of those tasks done by the end of the day, which by any measure would be significant, they still feel defeated and discouraged because they didn't make that much progress on the entire list. So let's just stop, you know, the, the, the crazy and boil that down, realizing that not all tasks are created equal, that 20%, according to the Pareto principle, 20% of the tasks will drive 80% of the results. So let's just do that on the front end. What are the three big tasks that I need to do today that if that's all I got done, I would feel great about today because these were the urgent, important tasks that are going to move the needle on my business or on my personal life. So now all of a sudden, instead of feeling overwhelmed when I get up in the morning, I've got a set of three tasks that I know that are important. They may even be urgent, but it's manageable. And when I get them accomplished, I can go to bed at night feeling satisfied that I got the most important work done. So that's just a little hack that I've taught my clients and I use myself that's made a world of difference. Do you actually like keep a note card by your bed or something? Like do you, do you write this down or do you just keep it in your brain or? No, I write it down. So I've got something I've got, I, I went back to an analog planner that uh, we actually published called the Full Focus Planner. And uh, this little thing is amazing. It's analog, which analog is the new digital. You know, it used to be that everybody's trying to manage their whole world in the digital environment and it's incredibly distracting. You know, you're constantly being getting notifications and pings and everything else. So I said, why don't we take the task management, the calendar management, for the most part, out of that and put it into an analog system where we can stay focused. So I encourage my clients, write this down. We have a daily page there where you can identify your daily big three. You can also throw your other tasks in there. But I think of those more as sort of the junk drawer for tasks, you know, errands, little things I need to do. If I don't get them done, probably nothing mission critical. It can wait till tomorrow or some other day. Right. Okay. Uh, so you are like the seventh or eighth productivity expert I've talked to, including me, I guess. And all of us use analog systems. And I think that, that absolutely fascinating. And I, the thing is, it's not that I haven't tried, you know, I've right. got every app and I've just noticed I'm actually more productive when I have paper. It's, it's weird. Could you Tell me, because I, of course, am a stationary geek and a systems geek. Could you tell me a little bit more about, about this planner? Is this something you sell? Can I get yes, one? Something, yeah, you absolutely can. In fact, I'll send you one, but you can get it at fullfocusplanner.com, fullfocusplanner.com. But it's basically designed for a quarter. And of course, I spent my entire career almost in the book publishing industry. So this is like the best material. This thing will last forever. The paper's awesome and everything. But it's, it's basically something I designed so that people could take my goal achievement methodology, which I talk about in my book, Your Best Year Ever, my goal achievement methodology, and also the execution strategy so that actually, you know, how do you accomplish those goals and have it in one place? So, for example, the first page on this, very first thing, has my annual goals here. And so I recommend no more than seven to ten goals per year and no more than two to three goals per quarter because you got the whirlwind of your life you're trying to manage these represent new initiatives and you can't have too many. So, so when you say a goal, like I, I can imagine a goal that's as big as get a college degree or a goal that is as small as clean the kitchen. Obviously, yeah. you're probably not going to have clean the kitchen be a yearly goal. Well, depending on your kitchen. <laughs> but um, <laughs> right. What, how do you scope the goals? Like if you're looking at a yearly goal, how do you scope that? Well, first of all, it's got to be something that can be done within a, a year. And usually I recommend something that could be broken down and done within a quarter. So, you know, these are going to be everything from projects 
to, you know, they, they could be tasks, but generally speaking, the tasks are what make up the goal. In other words, I think of it this way. Every goal becomes a project, but not every project is a goal. And I teach a, a framework called the SMARTER framework. And for me, the E at the end of the SMARTER stands for exciting. So if the goal is not exciting, you're probably not going to have the motivation to, to follow through and actually do it. So if it's just a project like, you know, catching up on your accounting, which for some people uh, would not be exciting, certainly wouldn't be for me, that's probably an important project, but it's not going to be on my goal list. It's got to be exciting to be on my goal list. Oh, interesting. So then, then where does catching up on the accounting end up fitting in your system? Because that has to be done at some point. Yeah, sure. And that's, and that's typically one of dozens, if not hundreds of projects that you're going to do over the course of a year that just have to be done. Those are typically inside the whirlwind of your business as usual, typical business. But again, the goal has got to be outside of that. It's got to be something you're reaching for that's outside of your comfort zone that represents a new initiative. Okay. I actually, now I want to go buy your other book and read that too. But I'm curious here because you said that it's got to be something that you're excited about. That's what the E stands for. And in Free to Focus, one of the things that you talk about is passion, the intersection of passion yes. and um, I've got the word you used, uh, proficiency. proficiency. Now, that's something we hear a lot about these days, right? Oh, you have to do what you're passionate in, it, it, with, et cetera. And I'm not, you're not referring to life direction here. Here you're referring to more tasks. To- to tasks, right? Can you say more about the role of that? Because I think, I especially if you're self-employed, passion is not a given in all of the different kinds of things you have to do. No. So this is the key to scaling yourself. This is the key to uh, doing less, you know, and is still achieving big or even better results, achieving more. So the Freedom Compass, basically think of a two by two matrix where one axis is passion and one's proficiency, except that I rotate it 45 degrees so that it magically turns into a compass. And at uh, due north, true north, is where your passion and your proficiency come together. So things that you enjoy doing, things that give you satisfaction, things you love to do, things that create flow. But it also has to be something you're good at. There has to be proficiency. And I don't just mean that, you know, subjectively you feel like you're good at it, but objectively, the market's willing to pay you to actually do that thing, to deliver that result. So for me, for example, there's three things that I do that follow in in, in this uh, particular zone. And I call it the desire zone, by the way. It's something we desire to do, we enjoy doing. So for me, that would be creating content, delivering content, or creating vision for my team. Really only three things. Anything outside of that falls in another zone. Do south from that, the exact opposite is where we have no passion and no proficiency. You know, we suck at it. And I call that the drudgery zone. It's going to be different for everybody, thankfully. So for me, it would be things like managing my email inbox, managing my calendar, booking travel, trying to find a FedEx box to get a package mailed. My assistant, on the other hand, Jim, those things are in his desire zone. He loves doing that kind of stuff. I hate it. So as an entrepreneur entrepreneur or a solopreneur, what you've got to figure is how can you spend more time in your desire zone and less time in your drudgery zone? And there's two other zones I talk about in the book, the disinterest zone and the distraction zone. And those are the ones you want to get out of uh, too. But let me give you a concrete example. Imagine you're a solopreneur or you're an entrepreneur. And I had a client like this by the name of Greg. And Greg said to me, he said, um, you know, I spend a lot of time doing web development. And he said, I know that that's holding me back 
because I, I can't actually bill for that. That wasn't his primary business. He was just tinkering with his own website and trying to, he knew he needed to have a web presence and he was doing all the work himself. I said, okay, how much do you bill out an hour? What's your rate? He said, I bill at $150 an hour. I said, okay. I said, what would it take to hire a WordPress developer that can handle this, this web development for you? He said, it's about $50 an hour. I said, are you good at web development? He said, no, not really. He said, it takes me forever to get stuff done. And I said, so would you pay somebody that was an average WordPress developer or maybe even not a very good one, $150 an hour? And he said, absolutely not. I said, well, that's exactly what you're doing. And I said, <laughs> ooh, that's, that's, that's slick. Oh my gosh. And, and so like the light bulb went off for him and he said, you know what? I got to replace myself because I could be billing that same time out that I'm spending on web development I could be paying somebody $50, billing it at 150 and having a net gain of $100. What do you do? Because there are some entrepreneurs who are in the stage where they don't have enough business that they could use that same time to bill out at $150 an hour. Like, like theoretically they could, but in fact, maybe the reason they're working on their website is that they're not good at sales and they haven't yet built up a, you know, enough business in the pipeline. So in that case, in some sense, they're, you know, they say, I bill out at $150 an hour, but I couldn't actually bill out this afternoon because I don't have anything. So I may as well spend the time doing the website. And of sure. course, they're not good at it and they screw it up. How, how should you think about that situation? Because I think that's a situation that some people are in that isn't like, that's just tricky, <laughs> you know, because mm -hmm. there's guaranteed cash out and not necessarily replaced by guaranteed cash in. Well, the cool thing is that's a real life scenario, right? I mean, that happens to people all the time. It happened to me. I was uh, the CEO and the chairman of Thomas Nelson Publishers, seventh largest book publisher in the, in the country. I had two full-time assistants. I had 650 employees. We did about a quarter of a billion dollars a year. And then all of a sudden, I stepped out of that when we sold that business to HarperCollins and said, I'm going to realize my dream of being a speaker and an author. Suddenly, I'm a solopreneur. Now, I got to do everything myself. I don't have really an income stream coming in. But the question I constantly had to ask myself, what is the highest and best use of me? So, for example, for that entrepreneur that's just starting, you know, it may be, again, it's a process. A lot of that stuff I had to do at the beginning, too. But one of the first things I did, the first hire I made, and it scared me a little bit because there was going to be cash going out, but I hired a virtual executive assistant for five hours a week. I thought, okay, I got to prove it to myself because I know there's got to be something I could do that's better than booking travel managing my email inbox and all the rest of the administrative kind of things that, that were keeping me from doing the high leverage things that would grow my business, get more clients, get more speaking gigs, whatever. So I hired somebody for five hours a week. Almost immediately, I saw a return on that investment because now I was freed up to pursue speaking gigs, to prepare that book proposal, to get a book published that would do everything, you know, in terms of growing my, my platform and my audience. And then I almost immediately, like within two weeks, took her to 10 hours a week and then 20 hours a week. <laughs> and so I just baby stepped it. And that's what you got to do. You just got to incrementally move it, gradually replace yourself. But here's the key thing. It always requires an investment before you see the benefit. And the wrong mindset, what doesn't work, and this is why entrepreneurs get stuck and why their businesses don't scale, is they say, when I get enough cash flow, I'll hire that person. Now, I'm not suggesting that you be stupid and just go out and hire a big staff when you can't afford it. What I am saying is that you take baby steps and you begin just incrementally to replace yourself. And thankfully, because of remote work and because of the virtual economy, we can do that pretty easily today. Cool. Now, there's two words you've used a number of times, and I want to go into both of them um, uh, because 
I, I love the start of your book where you talk about what should you be optimizing for and you give an answer that is not the answer I was expecting. And it's the, the F word. And then just now you talked about the L word. So I'd like to start with the L word. You said that you spend your time doing the highest leverage things. So to someone who doesn't even know what the word means, what does, what does it mean to do a high leverage thing and how can I tell what's high leverage and what isn't? Well, it kind of goes back to the freedom comfort, compass. The highest leverage things that you're going to be able to do are the things that meet where your passion and your proficiency are. You know, those are the things that are going to advance your business. Where can I apply the least amount of effort for the greatest result? I mean, that's what a lever does, right? You know, we take a, a small thing that's pretty simple and we apply a little bit of force, not a lot of force, but a little bit of force and it creates an outsized uh, response to that. So, you know, it's going to be different for everybody. For some people that may be selling, for some people that may be creating or writing or doing something like that. But what gives your organization the biggest movement forward? Like when you do that thing, you know, you know that it's advancing your business. Maybe it's thinking of a, of a new product line or created a new product or created a marketing strategy to get the product you created before uh, out into the market. Those are the important things that we can never seem to get to. You know, those are, we get so caught up in fake work or busy work that we don't get to that important work that we know intuitively would move the organization forward. And I think everybody probably knows what those things are, but it's not generally the busy work that takes up 70% of our time. Well, it sounds like this is where the stop idea comes in. Because at some point you want to say, wait a minute, I know that I have to empty the trash cans today, but before I do that, let me stop and ask what's actually going to move the business forward. And that's going to be where I should spend my time instead and have my virtual assistant empty the trash or uh, <laughs> <laughs> your virtual trash. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, that's exactly, that's exactly right. That's, that's why stop is the first part of that three part framework is that it's, it's important that we just stop, step off the hamster wheel for a little bit and say, wait a second, uh, not only what am I trying to do here, but why am I doing it and what strategy am I employing to get it done? So to be thoughtful and to be intentional and, again, apply ourselves, use our limited resources, because all of us have limited resources, including our energy, where could we apply it that has the biggest outsized result? And that's the secret to getting more done with less effort. And, and you just said you, part of stop is asking why. And where I was expecting you to go with this in the book was ask why and, like, come up with your deep inner you know, mission in life. And you actually didn't, that's not where you ended up. You said, here's like seven, seven answers to the question why. And the one that I recommend you choose is this particular answer. <laughs> Could you yeah. tell us what was that answer and, and why do you recommend it? Okay. So I've, I've been a productivity geek for a long time. Um, my blog, when I first started it in 2004 was called working smart and it was all about my productivity hacks. One of the things I quickly discovered is that for a lot of people who specialize in productivity, who are the so-called experts, productivity has become, become an end in itself. In other words, I want more apps, more technology, more productivity. Why? So I can be more productive. Why? So I can be more productive. And what I say is, wait a second, productivity has got to be a means to an end. And the end game for me is freedom. I want to be free by virtue of the productivity to do the things that matter 
most in, in life. And I think so, so for the for the average person that's working 12 hours a day, they want to get into the productivity hacks, reduce their workload to eight hours. Why? So they can fill up the other four hours with more work. That's not a life. You know, that's, that's I, I think, a recipe for burning out. And so what I suggest is there's four specific kind of freedoms that are worthy of your pursuit. First of all, the freedom to focus. You know, it's when we focus, when we concentrate, when we can do the most difficult creative work that, that is required of us, that we're going to move the needle, you know, that we're going to achieve the business results that we want, that our investors want, that our constituents want. So the freedom to focus, and it's, and it's a skill that people are losing in this distraction economy. Second, the freedom to be fully present. You know, I, I, even in free time, I go out and I see couples sitting at a table with their heads and their smartphones not being present with each other. Yeah, what's, right? what's that about? <laughs> I know what's that about. And, I, and I've done it myself, right? But, uh, or at work where you see somebody that's in a meeting who's checking their smartphone and they're not paying attention to the flow of the conversation. They ask a question that was just answered five minutes ago because they were on their smartphone not paying attention. So one of the best ways to be productive is to be present. And then the third freedom is the freedom to be spontaneous. You know, white space in a book is good. There's a reason why publishers don't run the type all the way to the edges of the page. It would make you anxious. It would make you nuts. Same thing is true in your life. If you program every minute, if you've got no room for spontaneity, that's a pretty miserable life. It's a good life for a robot. It's not a good life for a human. And then finally, the freedom to do nothing at all. Now, the Italians are really good at this. And this is where I learned this in Italy. I took a month off about two years ago. My wife and I spent a month in Italy and they have a, a phrase for it. They call it la dolce far niente. And it means the sweetness of doing nothing. And when it comes to productivity, the brain science says that when your mind's at rest is when you're the most likely to be creative. That's why you get amazing ideas in the shower or when you're out for a walk or otherwise doing nothing. So to me, freedom is the end game. That's what I'm looking for in productivity. Wow. Okay, cool. So, and th thus, ah, thus the book being called Free to Focus. Yes, exactly. What do you find is the most common way that people sabotage themselves? Because I know that, that one of the things that is true for me, like I'll find some new productivity technique or some new something and I'll, I'll use it for a while and then somehow I'll stop. And sometimes I stop just because it's not working for me, in which case I know that technique isn't a good fit for my style. But sometimes I think it's because I'm somehow doing something that I don't realize I'm doing because the, the problem with blind spots is you can never see your own blind spot by definition. Right. Um, but as someone who from the outside has seen many, 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 many people being productive and achieving their goals or not achieving their goals, what do you think is the biggest thing we should be on the lookout for to notice if we're sabotaging ourselves and getting in our own way? Yeah, I think um, a simple lack of clarity. One of the things I recommend in the book, in the chapter on designate, is something I call the three by three strategy, which is basically be crystal clear on your three goals for the quarter, your three priorities for the week, and your three daily tasks that are going to move the needle, as I keep saying. So being clear on that keeps you like a compass, like a GPS system in the middle of your week, focused on the things that you've already identified matter most because there's there's a lot of ways to do productivity you know it's like how many tasks i get done how many meetings i have what my sales report is but the real question to me is the only question is am i making progress against my most important priorities if i am again the science says 
I'm going to feel happy. I'm going to feel satisfied. A lot of people think that happiness is a destination, but all the research I've seen on happiness says, no, it's making the sense of making progress against an important goal. And as it turns out, that's what does deliver the results in our business. So identify those beforehand, be crystal clear. If you're running a team, make sure everybody's aligned around those goals and everybody's rowing in the same direction. That prevents fake work, sideways energy, and all the stuff that makes up the bulk of our days for the typical person, but doesn't really contribute to the things we've already said are the most important. So clarity, I think, is key, or a lack of clarity is the biggest impediment. How do you keep those top of mind? Because I know that I've worked with people before, and I run these things called get it done groups, where basically we're full of self-employed people, and we all act as each other's boss, so that we... You know, we, we can we can help do goal setting for each other and do accountability because when you're self-employed, it's really easy. If you don't have that structure around you, it's easy to go off, to go, do, to go down a rabbit hole. Um, given technology and that technology seems to be optimized for interrupting you and distracting you. And the funny part is it's getting better and better at interrupting us with things that genuinely seem like high, like quality, right? Like, oh, right. these days, the, 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 the articles that, Facebook recommends are actually articles that are interesting and well-written, at least for me, the ones that it recommends to me are interesting and well-written and I want to read them, but it's not actually a good use of my time because it doesn't lead anywhere. How do I keep top three things for the week and the quarter and the, and the day actually in my mind, (laughs) other than the 10 minutes I took out to, to write them down? Yeah, well, well, this is where the full focus planner for my clients comes in because we have the annual goals identified in the front but we've really get, get them to focus on the three goals for the quarter. And we suggest that they review those every morning, just takes a few seconds, and ask themselves the question, is there anything that I could do today that would move me in the direction of the achievement of one of those goals? The other thing we advise, and this is also in the planner, is a weekly preview system. And a lot of people teach this concept, but we've got a specific framework and format for doing that where I identify my big three for the week. So that's also something I'm going to reference every morning as I prepare my daily big three, and it informs my daily big three. So this creates the alignment between our annual goals, our quarterly goals, our weekly priorities, and our daily tasks. Uh, Another little thing that you said you're doing and you're getting things done uh, groups, I have a business coaching program called Business Accelerator, and my clients all jump on the phone with one of my associates once a week. We call it the weekly huddle. And everybody gets together and shares their big three for the week. And then we check in the next week and we say, okay, how'd you do on the big three for this last week? And it creates the same kind of effect that, that you've achieved in being one another's boss, the accountability. Cool. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. We have a very similar structure in mind. We have weekly meetings as well. We, wow. We've been doing it retrospectively, sharing successes and problems. And, so you said you had a specific framework for, for deciding what the three goals for the week is? Well, I wouldn't say it's a specific framework, but a specific framework for the weekly preview. So one of the things that we do, and I do mine typically on Sunday night, takes me about 20 minutes. But interesting what you just said, one of the things that we advise is what were your three biggest wins from last week? And one of the things about high achievers, and I know you're one and probably your clients are, are high achievers, is that we tend to focus on what we didn't do, what we didn't achieve where everything broke down, right? And so one of the things we found is that that really tends to hurt a sense of momentum and and it's totally distorted. You know, it's just that the human brain is wired so that we notice threats. We notice the things where there's a gap and what's missing. 
And so we've got to retrain our brains. We're going to keep momentum and protect our confidence. And we've got to notice we're actually making making uh, achievements or wins. I do that actually on a daily basis. One of the best exercises you can do before I go to bed at night, my wife and I say to each other, what were your three biggest wins for the day? It's the first thing I journal in the morning. What were my uh, three biggest wins from the previous day? I just want to reinforce that I'm winning, that I have momentum, you know, and even though I've had maybe a few bad hours in the day, I rarely have bad days. Usually it's just a few bad hours. And if I can keep that in perspective, I can continue to make progress. So that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. So you just snuck in a little, uh, you know, yet another thing there. You journal every day? Is that I part do. of the, the free to focus? Whole yeah, thing? we have. We, well, I talk about it in, in the rejuvenation chapter, but uh, the full focus planner, we also have something called the full focus journal. And so this is an analog journal that you write in every day. But here's the cool thing. I started journaling about eight years ago, never was a journaler. And I didn't like the idea of looking at a blank page. Scared me. You know, what am I going to write? Am I going to share my deepest, worst thoughts? Or am I, what am I going to do? So I came up with a list of eight questions that I ask myself every day. And they're just prompts, basically writing prompts that kind of get me over that hurdle of stepping at a, uh, staring at a, a blank page. And so I do this every day. And it's just a discipline that takes me 15 minutes because I time it about 15 minutes to do. And I force myself to do it within 15 minutes. And it gives me, this is a key thing a chance to reflect, to push the pause button, stop again, push the pause button and say, how did yesterday go? Was there anything I would want to improve? Where did I win yesterday? What am I grateful for today? What are my biggest, my three biggest priorities for today? So just kind of a structured thinking process. Nice. How do you remember to do that every day? It's part of my morning ritual. So this is a thing I talk about in the automate chapter in free to focus where I talk about, you know, when people think of automation, they think of technology or workflows or something like that. But another form of technology is self-automation. What are the routines? What are the rituals that I can do almost on autopilot that if I could learn to do this and be intentional about it and sort of pre-program myself, that it would set me up to win? So I I learned this from watching professional athletes who all have these pregame rituals. Sometimes it's superstitious. Sometimes it's really, you know, informed. You, you look at singers who warm up their voices. They go through maybe singing a couple pieces that get them in the best shape to give their best performance. And I thought, you know, we could do that as individual entrepreneurs and as, as leaders. So I have a morning ritual, a set of things that set me up for success. And in the, I talk about it in the book, but in the Full Focus Planner, we have pages for this. And I, rep- I recommend that everybody have at least four daily rituals. You can have more, but at least four daily ones. A workday or, or a morning ritual that sets you up to win for the day. A workday startup ritual that consolidates sort of the busy work and the administrative work and quarantines it to maybe a, a 30 minutes at the beginning of your day. A workday shutdown ritual that does the same thing at the end of your day, but has the added benefit of sort of closing the open loops and prepares you to re-enter the world of your home or your family, or your friends or whatever. And then finally, an evening ritual that sets you up to get a great night's sleep because why? A great night's sleep is one of the most important components of productivity. Right. And you know what? That was, that was beautiful because we have now come full circle. Um, and honestly, I could stay here talking with you for 
another hour because it is a every thing. I'm thinking like, oh, we could follow that down here. We could. I, you are an absolute and complete font of information, and it is oh, all you. fantastic. Um, thank you. Could you tell us how to? How can people? How can listeners and watchers? Since we're hoping to get the video of this up as well, how can people find you and find the planner and find the book and so on? Yeah. The best place to find the book is to go to freetofocusbook.com. And the cool thing is no matter where you order it or buy it, if you go to freetofocusbook.com, you can enter your receipt in there and we have about $500 worth of free bonuses. Some really cool stuff that we ordinarily sell that we're giving away uh, just for the launch of the book. You can find the planner. In fact, I want to suggest uh, a a different URL that I gave before because you can find the journal here too at fullfocusstore.com. FullFocusStore.com, and then everything else related to my work, you can find at Michael Hyatt, uh, Hyatt with a Y, MichaelHyatt.com. MichaelHyatt.com, FullFocusStore.com, and FullFocusBook.com. Yeah. Thank you. Free to focus book. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Free to focus book. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm deeply grateful that you took the time, and I'm sure our listeners will be too. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. Great to be with you. I'm Steve Robbins. Follow Get It Done Guy on Twitter and Facebook. If you have a project that you really wanted to finally finish after all that time, or if you have habits you've wanted to develop, like regular prospecting or tracking your finances, or something as bizarre and incredible as learning how to do circus arts, Get It Done Groups can help. Check out getitdonegroups.com for more information. Work less, do more, and have a great life. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 